on the viewpoint paramedics are armed uh, firstly there must be a training of uh, of them being armed i would not rule out I've, it has never been a strong view that has been canvassed all over but again when we expose our staff members to such dangers, they go out at night in areas that are dark and everywhere. So probably because of the rising crime, we will probably be able to say some of them are going to areas that are known to be really crime infested. I would not rule it out, though it has not been thoroughly discussed and canvassed as a view that we must also be. An attack on emergency medical staff is an attack on the Constitution because Constitution Section 27 does say that no one may be uh, uh, denied um, access to, to medical care. It means now if these people are getting attacked, it means that there will be a delay in terms of their response. We are being robbed uh, by the neighbors sometimes where we have to fetch the patients. So we, we are soft targets of them because we are not allowed to carry any weapons. My family is so worried and that uh, my family, they approached me and they said I must get rid of this job. But because of I love what I'm doing, I said I better die in what I'm doing. I've been pepper sprayed, I've been almost hijacked, I've been robbed, I've been gunpointed and still I am here today. It just makes me a stronger person to give more to my community. And I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to allow them to take that passion away from me. Yep, much to be said. We're wrapping up the Easter weekend. And especially when you talk about road accidents and the carnage that this period every time wreaks on our roads, the paramedics are often the first respondents and the persons to whom we are most indebted. Unfortunately, the clip that we have just heard is anything but a signal of our gratitude to them. Joining us to have that discussion, Health on Monday is Mpompocheng, the president of the South African Emergency Personnel Union, that's S-A-E-P-U, as well as Jolene Page. She's a paramedic and she has been working this weekend and she's also part of the Community Medics Media Team. Good evening, ladies. How are you? Mpo? Good evening, Okay. Let's start with you, Mpo. The, mm-hmm. the union... What mm. is its fundamental interest? Before we get into the challenges that the members will most likely be facing and are certainly facing given that clip, what is the primary focus of the union and what is its core mandate to its members? Yeah, basically as the union, our interest is to see our members having or working in, in, in good conditions. So, and their interest must be taken care of. That is our our interest as the the union. Now, how old is the union? When you say interest, who are the stakeholders who ought to provide for these interests of your members? Of course, the Department of Health is the first um, port of call in that regard. But I would imagine, especially in the light of the safety concerns, the security cluster would be involved. Certainly the South African Police Services, among others. Just tell us, who are your public stakeholders in the context of forming this union and where it is that these interests can be met? Yeah, our union is having 10 years as we speak. We celebrated 10 years last year. This year is going to be the 11th uh, uh, year. And uh, secondly, we are 
actually operating or having members in, in, in various sections in the public sector and also in, in, in private sector as well. So, but our um, the majority, majority or the large number of members, we are, we are having them from the public sector because uh, in, 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 the, in the private sector, most of the guys are, are working they are their own contract, most of them. So uh, as soon as you start organizing them, most of them, uh, they are intimidated and they end up losing their jobs because of, of, of uh, us working or operating or organizing in their, in their areas. So we've seen that in various uh, companies where people literally, uh, the contracts were not renewed because they were part of the union and so forth. So that is why... You see us uh, working mostly in, in the public sector. All right. Thank you. Jolene, you are a paramedic, and the clip that we played early on and, the, and what you have been dealing with this weekend must surely hit home. On the one hand, you have such a high calling in terms of national service in the kind of work that you do, but you're being left as exposed as some of your colleagues, and I would imagine you have been at some point, offers very cold comfort and must question as to whether or not this is worth your continued time in the profession. Yes, no, definitely, Sungezo. Um, uh, luckily for community medics, we were very fortunate up to now that we've only had one incident where some of our crew members was attacked, um, and that happened last year sometime. So up to now, we were very, very fortunate that we have come across not too many of those incidents. What is your position on, to the extent that it is possible to make yourselves feel safer, would you be comfortable in having paramedics being armed? Or does that take away from the very core of being a paramedic? Yeah, that is quite a debatable topic at the moment. And um, as an organization, we've actually taken the stand that we will not be carrying firearms. Um, we feel that that's going to make our volunteers and our crews a bigger target because then the bad elements are going to know that there's firearms that they can take off people. But Import disagrees with you. In fact, he's on record as saying that they are not apologetic about dealing with crime because crime will remain crime. And their position is clear. Their members must be armed. Mpo, you want to say something in that regard? Yeah, basically that is the mandate that we got from our members. And I must really indicate that since you have issued a statement talking about the arming of the paramedics, currently as we speak, that's why she's concurring with us that the, the attacks actually, we, we've managed to, to, to drop the, 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 the attacks because people were aware that we are ready to deal with that particular situation. So that's why you see there are most of our members, as I speak, and we're having only... Uh, Two incidences that I remember, which happened probably around December, before we after issuing the statement. So, those because we are regarded as soft targets. So after after realizing that most of the the, the, the the hooligans they realize that we are ready and our members are not apologetic, they are going to protect themselves. That is why we've seen the number dropped. And I'm happy because she's concurring with us that the, 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 the attack happened last year, not this year. Because last year, December, we issued that statement, even though we were criticized that this statement is reckless and so forth. But we issued that statement because there was a problem of uh, uh, 
I'll say negligency, or I don't know, I don't have a suitable term, but we're not actually attended to because the department, if I can speak about the public sector, the MECs in various provinces were not having plans about the issue of attacks. So always they will issue state condolences. Some states they won't even issue condolences in relation to the, to the attacks. So, and we engaged them, we wanted to get their plans, and every day they will tell us that they are having plans, but they are not actually implementing those plans, and the attacks were continuing. Until such time, we said, no, we are on our own. No one is actually doing anything about this matter. So our members took a stand that, no, there is a need for us to protect ourselves if, if such kind of a thing happens. And that's why we issued a statement, and even today there is no attack as we speak. Jolene, before I... I mean, when we come back from the ad break, I just want you to focus on what makes paramedics soft targets. What would these criminal elements typically be looking to gain from visiting accident scenes or emergency spaces wherein you are operating and look to make you victims of crime? What is it that they get away with? We're taking your calls on 891 This is SAFM leading the conversation with myself, Songa Zomabekze, and we will be back right after this. Faith Jenkins has gone from Louisiana beauty queen to work as a tough New York City prosecutor. Now she's the judge in her own courtroom, ruling on small claims cases from landlord-tenant disputes to social media scuffles. Join us weekday afternoons at 2 p.m. for the Judge Faith Show, only on SABC3. Nothing conventional on the viewpoint. on the viewpoint. Yeah, Jolene Page, we're back, and I'm asking what it is that makes you soft targets. Shoot. Yeah, I think um, the nature of the the work we do is that when you have a patient and you are so focused on saving somebody's life that you do not have the time to look around always. Um, and it's those moments that these guys take the chance and um, attack you because you're not aware of everything that goes around you at all times. Um, what are they looking especially for? if you're dealing with critical patients. What are they looking for? I, I mean, I understand that an accident scene is wrought with opportunities even for the security cluster, for instance, people have reported time and again that the first arrival, the first respondents to an accident scene, sometimes paramedics themselves, are the ones who are oftentimes taking people's wallets, people's phones, people's valuables otherwise. So you can't be entirely absolved of that. So there is a network or cycle around an accident scene or a site of an emergency whereby criminal elements just find that as an opportunity, given the fact that everybody's there for most times is vulnerable. Let's talk about this. Yeah, I think especially on accident scenes, you know, it's a case of there's so much chaos going on and nobody really knows who's supposed to be there and who's not supposed to be there. So it's very difficult to know, you know, who's the bad elements among you. Um, But yes, like you say, these guys are looking for cash. They're looking for cell phones, uh, expensive watches, anything that can be in a vehicle or on an accident scene that they can go and sell afterwards. This is Songa Zumabekta on SAFM Viewpoint, leading the conversation. We're taking your calls on 0891-104-207. And this is probably an opportune time to just have a conversation with the broader masses of South Africa. I mean, there must be somebody who's listening to this conversation who has been the first arriver 
at an accident scene. Give us your experience, more particularly your experience with the personnel who are designated to operate in those spaces, pathologists, your police, your Department of Health officials, particularly your paramedics. What has your experience been like? What are the experiences of Jolene Page similar to that which you have experienced or completely different? Are you a member of SAIEPU, that is the South African Emergency Personnel Union, as presided over by by Mr. Mpompocheng. We're taking your calls. We want your views. Send us a WhatsApp voice note on 0614-104-107 or even better, give us a call, 0891-104-207. President Mpocheng, the Department of mm. Health is decidedly against or certainly sounding the warning bells as to arming your members, paramedics that is. How do you engage each other as the department under whom paramedics fall and yourselves on the instruction and mandate of the members that you need to be armed. How are these conversations currently panning out in those spaces that we don't have ready access to? No, let me indicate that uh, from from the minister's office, after issuing the statement, they were intimidating us that they are going to open cases and so forth. We must be arrested and so forth. Until such time we continued, they are raising the very same issues and we had a meeting with them, and we wanted a tangible plan that can come and assist. But unfortunately, they were not having a plan. And uh, the, the, the intention was to was for us to withdraw the statement, and we couldn't withdraw the statement. We continued that statement. But we must, we must also indicate that uh, there is a, one MEC who agreed with the statement from the from KZN. and he said no there is a need for the for the for the paramedic to be armed. But our approach initially, I need people to call to, to understand this correctly, is because we said or we proposed to, to all the MECs that we met with them in raising the very same issue that they must make sure that there is an armed response that is going to escort our people, not in all the provinces but in those areas that are no go zones. That we know that when ambulance can enter into this this area, obviously there might be a possibility of that can be that the ambulance not coming back with the safe. So we we raised those things, but unfortunately it was never attended to. So that is why when we raise these issues, they will just criticize and criticize, but they don't have a plan. That was our proposal, the initial, the initial proposal when we engaged them in relation to this matter, but they were not interested to take that proposal. They said they had their own plans and so forth, but they never implemented that, that plan. That is why we said, no, we are on our own. Let's make sure that we defend. And we must also distinguish these attacks. Some of these attacks are the people who requested an ambulance and there is a delay, they end up being furious and they attack our members on arrival. And what is the cause of that particular attack? Is because there is a very serious shortage of ambulances in all corners of the country and shortage of personnel. So you'll find that one ambulance is operating the entire area. For instance, if I can give you an example of, mm. of Soweto, you might find that there is only two ambulances that are working during that particular moment in, in the, the, the entire Soweto. So it's very big. So when the ambulance is dispersed to that particular area, it might take two or three hours. That delay will actually irritate the community members and they start attacking our members. Because every time when the MEC procure ambulances, they will procure 30 ambulances that they know very well that is the ambulances are the 30 is not enough. And they will 
throw a big party telling the community members that they procure ambulances, there will be no shortage of ambulances, ambulances will respond in time, but knowing very well that those ambulances are not enough for the province. So okay, let me, let me talk on that point. On, on the point where you talk about ambulance, I mean, I think you talk to a resources issue, a limitation of state resources. Mm-hmm. Your solution, at least in terms of raising um, security with ambulances and bringing in an armed response, doesn't it in many respects counter precisely what you've just said now in the sense that the department doesn't have that sort of money? I'm not sure what other solutions you guys canvass among yourselves, but insofar as it relates to having armed responses, it's clear that this is a resource issue because they can't even afford ambulances. How and when would they afford armed responses to accompany these ambulances? Yeah, let me quickly respond to that. You, but the, the one thing for sure that you must know, in our, our, our protocol, safety will always come first. On those very same areas that I've mentioned, the no-go zone areas, when you tell the management that these places, every time ambulances are attacked, you'll be intimidated, you'll be told that you'll be dismissed if you don't go there. That is why our members are always having a very difficult decision to take when coming to that to, to, to those areas. That is why we're saying, if they are not safe, you must agree in principle that they must not go to that particular area, even though we know that they are, they are community members who are desperately in need of that particular ambulance, but they, our safety must come first as well. Talking about safety, let's talk about the experience. I mean, the high rate of post-traumatic stress disorder that is experienced by emergency services worker must be incredibly high. In fact, statistics internationally mm-hmm. suggest that the rate of anxiety among paramedics has been estimated to be as high as 22%, depression 10%, suicidal ideation mm-hmm. 10%. Jolene, before I get uh, Mpo to come back, what is the experience on the ground? You are responding. What is the experience of yours, your colleagues, remission rates, all of these things that we don't see for as long as you are not at the accident scene? Yeah, I think our biggest, that is a big concern for us in our organization. And we have put in multiple processes and policies, especially to help our volunteers because like you say, it's not just dealing with the incident on scene. It's all that emotion and all that flashbacks afterwards that also stays with our volunteers and our members. And we have multiple ways of dealing with that, um, varying from trauma, talking to colleagues, talking to peers. So we as an organization are very supportive of that, especially for our volunteers. What would you say is the experience for your members, Mr. Mpompoche, in in terms of the necessary support outside being medics themselves, but consistent and pursuant to their work of being medics? How are they supported? How are not not just sort of psychological support, but even physical support and material support, given the dangers and perils that come with the territory in which they operate? Uh, I must still indicate that most of our members are not getting any support and uh, you see most of, of them, most of them, they are, uh, they, they, they are alcoholics. So it's a problem. And you go to areas of, like, to the provinces, like Mpumalanga, most of them, they, they are having a problem of alcohol. So that on its own uh, is created by uh, the, 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 the situation that they find themselves in because they are not getting any counseling. They are always... Uh, working with 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 uh, dangerous, uh, they're working under dangerous conditions, and 
meeting so many violence, violences and so forth. So there's no support, and it is unfortunate because every time we are told about uh, employment, employee wellness program, but that, that, that on its own is not actually assisting. Could you be doing more for your members now that you say at least you confirm that they're not getting the support? But as a union, could you be agitating for more? Could you be doing more? And where could that more be coming from? Yeah, basically what we're doing from the organization, we have a program where we, after noticing that there is a problem with a particular employee, mostly you'll be picked that up as soon as they have disciplinary hearings and so forth. So we normally have our own people who are, who are, who are basically dealing with that. We refer them to those uh, psychologists and so forth. We assist in relation to that. But even before it gets to that point, I mean, when you talk about labor unions, you talk about disciplinary hearings. That's more of the province of labor. I'm talking mm-hmm. about now them being fit in employment such that they can discharge their obligations to their employer as best as possible before it even gets to a point whereby such disciplinary measures have to take place. And I understand for most parts, if not exclusively, it is the province of the employer to be providing this. But now that the need, if you will, has been recognized by the union, in terms of the resources that you have available to you and part of the benefits packages that's available or could be made and developed and made available for your members, what are you doing in that regard now that you have noted this shortcoming? That's why I'm saying we, we normally discover that as soon as the people are, are going, mostly when, when people are, are, are charged and so forth, then that we realize that there is a problem of alcoholism and so forth. And we, 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 then that we come in, even though I must indicate that we have limited resources because we, 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 we don't have enough cash to, to do that, but we try our best to make sure that we refer them to the to psychologists and so forth. But you normally pick that up as soon as you, you 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 are going to the hearings and so forth. Because mostly people they don't come out and say we have any problem of alcoholism and so forth and so forth. You pick that up as soon as the employer start to act, and which I will still believe that is still within the 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 the, 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 the duties of the employer to do that to, to to because they are working with those employees almost on daily basis, so they they know their challenges better than us. So mostly when we come in, then that we come in during the time when they have some differences, but we normally assist because we have people that we can refer them to. But your shop stewards then surely need um, some training in that regard if all of these things that you raise, which are very critical in one's employment, are made available to you as a union so late in the day. What are your shop stewards doing? Yeah, you you will understand that. Is <laughs> that maybe I must I must actually bring you to the to to this picture because most of our shops they are always working on the road at some stage. In most cases, they are working on the road. So and they're guided by the competition in the in the in the sector. You are not organizing alone in the sector. So you'll find that your shop steward is always on the road. Is working on other shifts. And uh, you cannot see the shift, another shift, because on the other shift you find that there is another shop steward from another union. So it's quite difficult for one to to, to notice another employee from another shift, because when you knock off, you that person might be off or, or, and so forth. So that competition as well is also disadvantaging us because you might not find all shop stewards in all the shifts because there is a ratio guided by labor relations act. 
So that that, that on its own is creating a challenge to to all of the unions, I must indicate. All right. Thank you. We're taking your calls on 0891-104-207. We're in, in discussion with Mpombo Kheng, the president of Sayepu, that's the South African Emergency Personnel Union, as well as Jolene Page, who's a paramedic and also part of the community medics media team. We're having a discussion and calling on for listeners at home to give us their experiences at scenes and spaces where emergency personnel are there. Have you ever been an emergency services personnel? Have you quit the profession? What is your relationship with anybody there? What is it like living with such a person who operates in the space? We're taking your calls on 0891-104-207. This is Song is on my bed. They're leading the conversation on the viewpoint. Jolene, quick point. You work on a volunteer and stipend basis. That, 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 that must be challenging. And, and, and surely from a perspective of funding and keeping people sufficiently motivated, keeping them, in fact, because you're competing with permanent employment and everything else. How does the community medics... Um, space continue operating the way it is, given the fact that people are on a volunteer and stipend basis, at least the majority of? Yeah, I think we are very lucky that we've got the support of some wonderful sponsors, um, and those sponsors help us definitely to keep this going. Um, however, we also have some of our past patients um, and community members that on a monthly basis donate towards our organization because they see the good that we add to the community. So we're very privileged that we've got some um, support. But yes, it is a chal- challenge, definitely. Um, running costs for EMS service is not small. So, yeah, it is it is a challenge, and we work very hard on fundraising to keep this service going for as long as possible because we do feel that we add value and we all want to help that patient that needs us. A volunteer will make oneself available. How long between your knowing and registering a particular individual like myself, Song, as I was saying, I want to be part of this, the training that's involved and my being given the opportunity and license and the clearance to be an emergency services worker. How long does that process take, and what is the value spend in getting this person sufficiently trained to now be an asset to the public? Yeah, so our organization only accepts people that are HPCSA registered, so they have already completed the emergency medical training, um, and they already registered Professions Council. So the only training that really is needed is our internal processes and our systems and how we do things. So, yeah, it depends on the volunteers' time and how much time they have to give to the organization and how quickly they can be trained before they are able to get on a vehicle and go and make a difference. Fair enough. Let's listen to Eddie from Odenzels Ross. He has a call for us. Eddie, what is your comment, question, or concern? Eddie? Hello, how are you then? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. The network is bad here. You know, it's, it's, so, it's so unfortunate that some of our communities are doing this too. People who are providing such an important and essential service. If you remember well, my brother, the, there was an act um, whereby when people were, uh, you know, stealing cable, and it was said that, you know, that there will be a, a maximum sentence to that effect. And that should also relate to this as well, uh, to, to this, um, um, what we are talking to, to about today. 
I just want to also to appreciate the work done by, by our paramedics. Really, they deserve all the best. And I don't know why they are looking to get, um, you know, um, funds, more funds, especially those who are volunteers and so on. I mean, guys, this is the most essential service that we ever need. Thank you so much, Eddie, from Odendalsrus. I think Eddie drives an important point more than anything else. Just looking yes. at the fabric of our society, what, what, what kind of society are we living in such that people who are only there to offer assistance at a time where a lot of the people, if not all of the people on our speed dial are not available, they mm-hmm. offer their time, they offer their service, they offer their compassion, oftentimes at times where they could be doing something else. I mean... An accident that happens now. A majority of the people who are on speed dial for me, not only are they too far away from me, but they are attending to their menial tasks for the day. They are not on standby because I'm on the road, but there is someone on standby. And then society treats them with such disdain and disregard. How do we correct this? Where is the failure in organizing our society such that we treat these persons as national assets? Yeah, I think it must also start from our employers. Let me quickly get into the point where my my colleague has raised the issue of training. I'm failing to understand what kind of a training their organization is offering. And I'm afraid it might be exploitation of the workers there because... There's no any other training as soon as you are registered with the health professional cancer. But I don't want to entertain that, but I'm just raising a concern because that might also lead to the very same problem that you're experiencing where our workers are exploited. So, but now, the issue of, 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 of uh, our, uh, our community members treating us or treating us in that particular manner, it, it is it's a very serious challenge. We need to work together with the employer and to, to run campaigns, make them aware that these people are very much important to the community because we need them for all sorts of things. Because we normally have uh, the gunshots where we have to respond to, and we also have the pregnant women who must give birth. So such kind of things, we need those people. So we must run those campaigns and make our community members aware about the importance of an ambulance. Because we are losing it gradually. You might also see that we are losing it when it comes to the issue of traffic. Most of our, our drivers, they don't even respect the ambulance. They, 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 they always block the road, irrespective of the, the, the siren is on or not. They will always make sure that they block the road because they don't, they care less. And when they need an ambulance, then that they realize that this, the, the ambulance is important. So we need to work on that. And it's not only the responsibility of the employer and and the union itself. It's all, we also want the community to, to partake in this, in this matter, so that our 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 members of the, the members of the community must also know the importance of of the, of the ambulance. They must make sure that the. They, they, they provide safety for an ambulance in that particular village because if the ambulance is attacked in your particular village, the village or the the section or the location will regard that that area as no go zone, which means when we, the ambulance must go to that particular area, we'll have so many discussions. There will be delays because people will be having some problems of attending to that particular call, guided by the very same incidences that happened. So if the community members, they know 
those hooligans or perpetrators, they must report them to the police so that they can be arrested and uh, the ambulance will come there and, and, and do the service without any challenges. Because we, we would mostly, in, in all the incidents that were reported, no one has been arrested and it's very, very disappointing. And we, fully, we, are, we are aware that some of the community members might have more information, but they might not come and assist the police so that those perpetrators can be arrested. Thank you so much. That was Mpompo Heng, the president of SAEPU. That's the South African Medic Emergency Personnel Union. Thank you so much for your time. Final thoughts from you, Jolene. Do you just want to respond to the point that um, Paul made about what additional training, once you are registered, is required on your part, specifically even mentioned the word exploitation? What does that mean? Yeah, I think it's also important that uh, I just mentioned that especially organizations like ourselves um, have a problem because of the training that was stopped um, in South Africa, the short courses. Um, We are basically running out of people that have avenues available to them to get trained. The short courses gave them an avenue to at least get trained and go and help people. But now, unfortunately, with that being stopped, our people can't upskill any further except if they want to take a three-year break and go and study a degree. And this makes it very hard because if we lose any volunteers due to trauma or PTSD or anything like that, the influx of new members are very low um, because there is just not new blood coming in fast into the industry. Okay. Thank you so much, Jolene. We'll have to hold it there. Unfortunately, time has run out. That was Jolene, who's a paramedic and also part of the Community Medics Media team. Thank you so much for the voice note. Unfortunately, we can't play it, but I'll quickly read what Mohapi has said. I think more research has to be done before we create certain posts, especially in EMS field, so as to prepare candidates or employees beforehand and how to deal with the challenges of their profession and occupation. Certainly, a lot more can be said about this very essential service in the public space. That was the program, Health on Monday, with Mpompo Heng and Jolene Page, who are in the paramedic space. We'll have to take an advert before we go to our daily soapy, the paper.